Good morning, everybody. My name is Glenn. I know uh, if you're a guest here, you've already been welcomed a couple times, but I would just like to add to that. I'm really glad you're here if you're, if you're a guest here this morning. Um, we're in the middle of a series called uh, Habits, which is all about um, exploring spiritual habits, which if we understand them um, and apply them to the, our lives, they'll eventually draw us or intentionally draw us closer to God and enrich our journey with him. The habits we've identified in this series weren't chosen because we think that applying them to our lives will somehow earn us right standing before God. That's been already purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ, shed on the cross for us to pay for all the ways that we have failed to live up to God's glorious standards. It's through God's grace, through faith alone in Christ, that we stand before God clean and forgiven and are adopted into his family. This series is simply designed to help us get the most out of the life that that Christ calls us to. And if we apply these habits to our our daily lives, we'll become more like Jesus. And and just as important, we will be a major blessing to people around us in our everyday lives. So far in this series, we've looked at uh, habits uh, such as simplicity, celebration, confession, Last week, Pastor Ray talked about loving our enemies. This morning, we're going to look at how to practice good stewardship. But uh, stewardship isn't really something that we talk a lot about. At least I don't um, use that word a whole lot. Um, So let me define it for us so that we start out on the same page. Stewardship is the management of property by a servant on behalf of its owner. I'll say that again. Stewardship is the management of property by a servant on behalf of its owner. Jesus told a parable um, to help us understand the principles of stewardship, and uh, it's found in Matthew chapter 25. So if you have your Bible, um, I'm going to read it. You can read along with me. It's Matthew chapter 25. If you're going to use the Bible in the chair rack in front of you, uh, it's page 994. Again, it's Matthew 25. And uh, before we read it together, let me just pray for us. Father, I'm grateful for your love. I'm grateful that Today is just another day that your mercies are new to us. Thank you. Thank you for the life that you've given us, for the life that you call us to. Thank you for each person that's here this morning. God, we're here um, to sharpen each other, to learn from each other, to hear from you. And so would you speak through your word? I pray that you would use me, God, to continue to draw us closer to you and to make us more like you. We pray all these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Matthew chapter 24, we're going to start reading in verse 14. Again, Jesus said, uh, the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. Well done, his master replied good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. 
Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seeds. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered seed? Then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever doesn't have, even what they have will be taken from them. There's a lot that we can learn from this parable this morning, but I just want to point out two main truths pertaining to stewardship that we can learn. The first point is super, super important for us to grasp. In fact, if you walked out of here this morning and didn't remember anything else I said, I hope that you remember this one thing. But I also hope that you don't check out after I say this one thing because it's like, hey, I got the one thing, I'm good. Because there's more stuff to come, okay? But this one thing is really important. It's this. In reality, you and I don't own a thing. In reality, in reality, you and I don't own a thing, but we're responsible for everything. God is the rightful owner of all that we had. Everything that we've been granted to us, everything we have has been granted to us by a generous and gracious God to manage on his behalf. Frankly, for me, I'm just being honest with you, this is a really, really hard truth for me to, to, to embrace, really. I don't know why it is. I could probably use tons of excuses. You know, it's our culture, you know, everything you know, that we live in is telling us, you know, earn what you get or whatever, or you deserve what you get. But this is a really hard truth that really I don't own anything that I have. God does. And he's put me in, uh, in a position to manage it well. So I um, want to spend a little bit of time looking at what God's word has to say. Because uh, the parable that we just read obviously is clear as well. That the master gave uh, his servants the money that they had to invest. But let's just look at, um, look at scripture some more and see what else God has to say about this. Because it's really interesting actually how much the Bible has to say about the fact that God owns it all. We'll start in Psalm 24, 1. Um, this is what the psalmist says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything. God told the Israelites when he led them out of slavery, you know, from Egypt, um, and he was bringing them into the promised land, this is what he said to them. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. God told Job, everything under heaven belongs to me in Job chapter 41. In Psalm 89, we read, the heavens are yours and yours also the earth. I think that's interesting because, you know, the, the psalmist goes beyond just this planet that we live in and says, the heavens are yours. The heavens. We've had three nice days in a row, right? Like, don't you feel spoiled? Like, wow, I can't, when is this going, when's the other shoe going to drop and it's going to start, you know, raining and stuff again? But I say that because, you know, when, on a clear day, a clear night, we can look out, if there's not too much light pollution, and see stars, you know, see a little glimpse of the heavens. And of course, as scientists, um, you know, begin to explore even further um, into our universe, they, they just, they, they discover more and more um, how huge the universe that we live in really is. And the psalmist says, all of that is yours, belongs to you, including this little planet called Earth. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 17, God himself gives everyone life and breath 
and everything else, and it's in him that we live and move and have our being. So even our breath comes from God. King David, he amassed all this material to build the temple. Hundreds of tons of gold. It's really interesting if you read it in the Old Testament. All that, that, that came in to build the, the temple where God was worshipped in the Old Testament. But God told David, you're not the one that's going to build it for me. Your, your hands are bloody. You know, you're a warrior. I'm going to have your son Solomon build the temple. So as David was passing the baton, so to speak, to his son Solomon, he gave Solomon all the material to do it. And then David uh, prayed in front of all of Israel, and, and this is what he prayed, and I think this is super interesting. First Corinthians, or Chronicles 29, he says, God, everything comes from you. And he's probably looking at all of the gold, hundreds of tons of gold and silver and all the cedar and everything else that took to build this temple. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. David recognized, God, this is all yours anyway. We're just giving you back what belongs to you in the first place. The Apostle James writes, Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. So clearly, Scripture teaches that everything we have comes from God, and without him we would have nothing, including the very breath in our lungs. Now again, this might be a really, really tough thing uh, for some of you guys to hear. And I I mean guys literally, because I think guys, we tend to be like, you know, we're the providers of our families, we're the protectors, and and it's a big deal to us to like work hard and earn a paycheck and, and, and put food on the table for our family. Like that's a big deal, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. But I think that mentality makes it tough for guys to realize that really, really, it's God's. I mean, I worked hard for this stuff. That car that I bought, I mean, I worked my tail off for that. And that's not a new thought. That's not a new struggle. I just want you to know that. It's frankly an old struggle. The Israelites, all the way back uh, in the Old Testament, when God led them out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, Moses had something to say to them. And this is what he said, you know, kind of along this line. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses said, when you eat and you're satisfied, when you're basically out of the land of slavery and you're settled in the promised land, you just need to be careful. Because when you eat and you're satisfied, when you build nice homes, you settle down, your silver and your gold increase, all that you have is multiplied. In other words, hey, when you buy a new car and when you put an addition on your home and when your bank account starts to grow, all that stuff, you might say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But, Moses said, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So really, we cannot claim ownership of anything we have in reality. So that's the first major lesson that that we need to take away from this parable. Um, The second is this, that God expects a return on what he entrusts us to us. In other words, God expects us to do something with all he's given us, the responsibility to manage. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, for everybody who has been given much, much will be demanded. So the parable that that we just looked at in Matthew, uh, two major points that we need to remember, okay? That we really don't own anything, but we're responsible for it, and God expects us to do something with it. He expects a return on his investment, so to speak. So what is it exactly that God has entrusted to us? What, what are the riches that God has given us so graciously? Because he has, he's given us a lot. I just thought of four like basic categories. Okay, the first one is time. Uh, I have a short clip, um, video clip that I thought we could all enjoy together. So let's watch. Time. 
What's really cool about time is that every single one of us, regardless of you know, our socioeconomic level or what, where we live or where we came from, all of us have the exact same amount of time every single day. I know that we're not guaranteed tomorrow, but today God has given us life and breath and we have 24 hours. We have 1,440 minutes or you know, 86,400 seconds to invest, to manage well. In the Old Testament, Moses wrote um, in the 90th Psalm, teach us to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, God, help us to remember that every day we have is a gift, a gift from you. And help me to be wise in how I spend it. Time is brief. James says that, you know, our life is like a mist that is here, appears for a little while, and then vanishes. And Paul says in Colossians that we're supposed to make the most of every opportunity that we have. So that's the first asset that God gives us time. The second one is talents. This included in our talents are like our physical abilities, you know, to, to be able to move and listen and speak and work, etc. Our talents also include our, our unique skills, you know, like to play an instrument or to sing or to swing a hammer, fix an automobile, balance a checkbook or lead a team. I think about like the, the worship arts team that's here every single Sunday morning. Man, they get it. You know, they are good stewards of the, the talents, the incredible talents that God's given them, you know, to sing or play. Um, they invest that really well on God's behalf. Our talents also include our uh, mental capacity, the ability for us to think, to reason, to read, to solve complex math equations. For those of you who can solve complex math equations, I'm like really in awe of you, frankly. I stopped helping my kids uh, math homework when they were about in fourth grade. After that, I'm like, sorry. I I just don't have that capacity. But if you're a follower of Christ, um, what we all share are spiritual gifts. That's also included in the talents that that God has given us. The Bible says that to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So again, if you're a follower of Christ here this morning, God has given you spiritual gifts to manage well, to be a good steward of. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans chapter 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, then let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. The bottom line here is that all of us who know Christ have been given spiritual gifts to use, to steward well for the common good. All of us have been given that. God has gifted me to teach. I really love to teach. So to be a good steward of the gift that he's given me, that means I need to take every opportunity that I reasonably can to teach. And it means that I need to read books on teaching to get better at it. It means I need to go to seminars on teaching so that I become a better teacher, a better communicator, if I want to steward the gift that God has given me and steward it well. The same goes true for all of us. The same is true for all of us. The third asset that God has given us, he's given us time, talents, and also treasures. This, of course, refers to the money that God has graciously allowed us to earn or obtain. But it also includes our financial assets, like our home, the car in our driveway, the clothes in our closets, our computer, the food in our kitchens, the furniture in our rooms. Practicing good stewardship of our treasures is a primary means by which the Lord develops us as his people. Giving 
is an acknowledgement that all we have and are belongs to God. What we possess has been entrusted to us for his glory. You know, there are over 2,300 verses in the Bible that talk about money and possessions. 2,300. That's a lot. Now, why do you suppose that God devotes so much time in his word to to teach his people about money and possessions. Do you think it's because he, you know, he needs it? I mean, no, we know that, right? Because it's all his anyway. I think it's because he knows our fallen tendencies to allow money to become our God and allow money to own us and to enslave us. So he devotes a lot of time talking about it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's huge. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I would also add under this category our relationships, the relationships that God has graciously given us with family, friends, neighbors, co-workers. And I would even add our own bodies, which Paul says have been bought with a price. So even our own bodies don't belong to us. And the fourth asset um, that that God has graciously given us is terrain. Now that means like our environment, you know, our natural resources. But I couldn't say that because all of them are T's and then that would just be like, what? That doesn't fit. So I had to come up with a T word and this is the best I could do. Terrain. Our environment, our natural resources, God alone, or or man alone, rather, in all of God's creation have been given the stewardship responsibilities over creation because man alone is created in God's image. As stewards over our environment, we're to care for it and protect it. The air we breathe, the water we drink, the land we live on, the animals we live with, the care of which all have been, you know, made, we have been made responsible for. And it's just kind of funny because on my way in this morning, I was driving down the street and this little cute little bird just flies right in front of my truck and I came within inches of making it part of the grill. And I'm like, man, God, that would have been so funny if I like killed a bird on the way to talk about how we're to be good stewards of our environment. And I just killed a bird. So I'm really thankful that I didn't. So God, God has, uh, you know, entrusted us with these things, right? Time, talents, treasures, terrain. He's, he's made us stewards over it, right? And he expects us to do something with it. So in the last part, we are just going to look at um, four ways that we can practice good stewardship, right? Because that's what this is all about, right? Habits. How do we practice good stewardship in our lives? Four ways. First one is just embrace the fact that we're managers, not owners. I'm not going to belabor this because we've already been through this, but we just have to embrace it. That's the starting point. If we don't embrace this fact, then we're going to live our lives like we own everything and do with whatever we have as we please, not necessarily as God would want us to. So that's the first way that we can practice stewardship. Embrace the fact that we're managers, not owners. The second is to look beyond ourselves. Just look beyond ourselves. If we are so like self-consumed, you know, consumed with our own needs, our own passions, our own desires, our own wants, all that stuff, then we can easily miss the people that God brings into our lives on a daily basis who might need us, who might need what we have been given to steward, to manage well. So look beyond ourselves. James says, hey, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to him, hey, go, wish you well, keep warm and well fed, 
but does nothing about his physical needs. And what good is that? All that we've been given, we're to manage well, to bless others. So look beyond ourselves. The third one is create margin in our lives. Create margin in our lives. We have to be wise and frugal with our resources in order to be in a position to give. Commentator uh, P.H. Wright says this, the overall message of the Bible regarding finances is one of personal thrift combined with generosity toward others. And I would add the principle applies to all of it, not just finances, our time, our talents, etc. The Bible places a high value on saving money to provide for oneself and others in times of need. Our, our high school ministry every summer goes on a missions trip, and this summer we're, we're going with Living Water, and uh, we're sending a few teams out, uh, two to Honduras and one to Nicaragua. So my wife and I and our two oldest, our, our two oldest girls are, are both in high school, and so they're going with us this year, which is awesome, you know, but that's like a lot, you know, it costs a lot to send four people to Honduras. So, you know, we send support letters out to people asking them, hey, please pray for us. If you could help us financially, that'd be fantastic, you know, and, and God provides through that. And it's awesome because there are a lot of people who, who have um, margin in their finances to help others. So we have some friends here at Parkview who we didn't send a support letter to. And they approached me, uh, you know, and said, hey, well, how come like we didn't get a letter from you guys? And I, don't, I actually don't remember why we didn't. Maybe we just forgot. Or I don't know. But he's like, look, we put aside money every year for supporting people like going on short-term missions trip or just people that need help financially. We And I uh, he's like, send me a letter and we'll help you. So I went home like, girls, you got to send him a letter. And sure enough, they did and he helped. But I just thought, you know, that is so cool because they are practicing good stewardship in their finances because they are creating margin in their budget to help people. That's awesome. Like if we have no wiggle room in our budget and, and a need arises like that God brings to our attention that we could help if we had some margin, we can't do it. You know what I mean? But this family does. And I just think that's really cool. Years ago, um, I have a friend who, who was a youth pastor at a church around here years ago. And um, he was a mentor of mine. You know, he's older than I was. And I, he's still older than I am, which is so weird how that works. But he, he was just a really sharp guy. And, and I just learned a lot about youth ministry from him. So one day I was, I was on my way over to his office. I think I had to drop off a book or pick up a book or something. Point is, I wasn't planning on being there long. I just planned on being there for a few minutes and that was it. But we got to talking, you know. So I'm in his office and I'm sitting there. And, and we just got to talking and it was a great conversation. And then I started to feel a little like self-conscious. Like, oh man, you know, I don't want to like take up this guy's time. And so I said something to him. Like, apologize. Sorry, dude. I didn't really mean to like take up all your time. And he's like, and, and this is what I'll never forget. He, he looked at me and he said, Glenn, you're the reason I'm here right now. And that was huge to me. I'll never forget that. What he taught me was the importance of having margin in our schedule too. Like I could be, I could be pretty much off the charts task oriented. Like I'm the type of guy that writes a to-do list every morning, you know, and then I do it and I like check them off, you know. And if I do something not on my to-do list, I'll write it and then check it off. But man, I was so challenged by my friend because I, I have to ask myself, like, how much margin do I have in my schedule? If somebody came into my office that I wasn't prepared for, would I be bothered? Or would I say, that's cool. I don't care. I'll push some things off my to-do list because this person's more important. Margin. We have to have it. If we're going to be good stewards, we have to create margin in our lives. And then lastly, if we're going to be good stewards, um, we have to practice gratitude and contentment. All that God has given us to manage, 
we need to be thankful for. Paul says this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's the secret right there to contentment. We could do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Paul says in 1 Timothy, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothes, we'll be content with that. If we live within the reality that God owns all we have and has given us the responsibility to manage it, if we look beyond our own needs to the needs of others, if we create healthy margin in our lives, if we learn to be content with what God has given us, then we'll be good stewards. And we will one day hear our master say to us, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we so long to hear you say that, to hear you one day look us in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master because we've practiced good stewardship, because we've embraced the fact that you own it all. And we're just here to manage it. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to do just that. Wherever it is that we need to be um, nudged and challenged, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would do just that. Even now, where it is that we need to be encouraged, where we are being good stewards, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us in those areas. So thank you, God. Thank you for your generosity to us, for pouring out into our lives good things. Help us, God, to be good managers of it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.